Turn your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Verse 12, if you want to use the translation I am preaching from, it's the Pew Bible in front of you. It's 1051. Uh, actually, the left-hand side gives you 1050, so you have to assume the next one is 1051. Uh, so you want to turn there and turn in your devices or say, Siri, show me. I don't think she does that, but uh, turn to your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Today we're going to continue kind of a thought we talked through last week about, uh, about how we should worship together. How do we rightfully hold back false teaching? How do we guard the gospel? How do we proclaim Christ? Well, it's while, while and as we worship. And so uh, last week we talked about elements of that, but, but even more so, who leads us in that worship? Who leads us in the church? Today we're going to look at leaving a legacy of godly leaders. I'm going to uh, read as I go uh, the text. We have a large section today, so let me just pray as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning to gather as your people, as God's people, redeemed through Christ. We're thankful, Lord, that we can gather in your name freely uh, to worship you. And that, Lord, this morning, that as we do come, we want to hear from you. Not in a, 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 a mystical sort of way, but in a way that's clear, founded in your word. And that the Holy Spirit affirms that, that we see and feel and think and live according to what you have given us. So Lord, we pray today that in my life, that in all of our lives, that Lord, you would change us according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, if you've read ahead, we're going to be talking a little bit about, about how we have leaders in the church, pastors and deacons, and we're going to look at how women play a role in that. And boy, you know what? I just got up this morning and said, whoo, Nothing gets me out of bed in the morning like a discussion on church polity. Amen? <laughs> and nobody said that, maybe except for a few of us in here that might say that. But none of us have said that. We, oh, yay! Elders and deacons and, and leaders. Woohoo! You know, we're excited about this discussion. You know, but if we actually understand and read the Bible and really think through ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, and understand what the Bible says, there's there is nothing more beautiful that when pastors and congregation work in concert to make a beautiful display of the gospel. But when one, the congregation or the pastors, turn it into selfish ambition, it can be as disastrous as an elementary recording concert, recorder concert. If you've been to one of those, and I have, it can be awful. You want to make sure that we are making beautiful music together. The importance of the role of pastors and the church members and deacons and leaders are vital because it's important to the growth and discipleship of the entire congregation. It's for our own good, for all of our good, and to display the goodness of Christ. It displays the vitality of the health of the church to the world, and it's important that we know and understand that as believers. How do we know this? Well, Hebrews 
13, 17 through 18 reminds us this. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. The writer of Hebrews paints that picture, right? Of how vital that pastors are and deacons are to the congregation, how the congregation relationship is vital. And likewise, we understand that when we think through this matter, that any time we understand this topic, that we must, we think, unfortunately, of how things have gone wrong. That when one, a pastor or a church has shipwrecked the church because of selfishness, right? There's many examples that you can see or maybe you've thought back in your history or you've experienced even painful memories of that you've walked through. Where possibly where a church never lovingly submitted to their pastor and instead ran that pastor off, crushing them in ministry and sending the church down a a horrible path of destruction. But likewise, we see, unfortunately, that come to the the news industry where there are pastors who selfishly, in the same way, hurt their church through personal sin or bad theology or prideful arrogance. My research shows that one of the most important uh, uh, statistics or keys in looking at the health of a church when I was studying revitalization is that you can look at the tenure of the pastors that have been at a church. If a church has cycled through a lot of pastors, then more often than not, that church is heading down a timeline of disaster. Either they have been either taken advantage of by a, 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 a bad leader or that the church was not willing to be led as the, as the Bible tells us. So we must understand that it is both the role of the pastor and the congregation to work vitally together under the authority of the scripture, to work in concert to paint the beautiful picture of Christ in our relationship with one another. Paul here writes to Timothy how important it is to the church members to understand, recognize, and identify the proper leaders that God has placed within them. And that to understand that as a church member, your most important role is to help disciple, raise up, identify, and choose godly leaders. Now, if you are here today, Maybe you are one of the ones that God is raising up. So when you read through these passages, maybe you say, God, you're thinking of me. I need to consider my life in regards to these qualifications. Maybe God, you're leading me to be gifted in this way. But if you're a church member, in the same way, you're thinking, I've got to identify these leaders. I need to know what to look like, and I need to know how to encourage disciple and to pray for them this is a vital role and it gives Paul gives a snapshot of the leaders that God gifts the church that we must identify and Paul gives us three qualities 
to help us identify leaders that we can follow. So let's begin in chapter 2. And actually, I'm going to pick up in verse uh, 11 down to verse 15. A woman is to learn... I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she must remain quiet. For Adam was first formed, formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Here are these verses. There has been a lot of ink spilled and internet pages filled with a lot of different opinions and a lot of vitriol. Some non-Christians will read these texts to say, well, look how oppressive Christians are or the Bible is to women. Uh, even some Christians would, might read this and think, oh, well, this is just a cultural reference that I need to just run through, gloss over, and not pay attention to. But brothers and sisters, if we trust that every dot and tittle is the Word of God, just like we believe that Psalm 23 is vital to our lives as Christians, just as we would believe John 14 that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is vital and foundational to us as Christians. We too know that every verse and word here has been given by God, and we must understand what it would have for us. Paul states here that in the gathered worship of believers, that the church must reflect the created roles that God has given and created of male headship, and leadership both in the home and in the church and that wives are submit to their husbands in the home yet to fulfill many important roles in the family and leadership roles in the church but just not as pastor that's the summary of what we're about to read if you can see and kind of snapshot what Paul says is that we see and understand that in the gathered body that God has given us to reflect the created order of male headship and, and the family, both in the home and in the church, that we must understand that wives are to, to submit to their husbands and yet fulfill many important roles at home and in the church, but just not as pastor. That's the summary. So now, as we read through this, we have to think through and, and think through how Paul builds his argument. First, we have to be reminded that who Paul is talking to. The recipient of this letter is, yes, Timothy, but the church. Paul is trying to guard uh, the, the gathered worship of God because what has been happening? False teachers. What has these false teachers been saying? Oh, don't get married. Uh, marriage is not part of the Christian faith. You don't need to worry about that. There was also an early form of Gnosticism, which means that they, they, you can ascend to this knowledge of God, and yet even the physical nature is not that important, not that vital. So you don't have to worry about physical things like marriage and, and, and following God and, and doing these things in the flesh 
No, you just need to assent to this knowledge. And so what they were doing was stripping away at God's role for the, God's given role for the family and for the church. And when Paul writes here, he writes in a way that, that uses a cultural context that displays a universal truth. You know, sometimes people write to this way, uh, uh, think of this text, and they say, oh, well, Paul's just writing to this cultural context. We just don't, we don't even need to pay attention to it. We, uh, it's dismissed. We don't need to, to think about it. Some people would say, Paul hates women. We don't need to listen to that Paul. He's just a woman hater, and he doesn't, we don't need to listen to anything that he says. He's only stating this because he, he's in a patriarchal society. Well, if we read the text carefully, we will understand that that claim is false. First, Paul, through his letters and writings, highlights the value and importance of women throughout the history of the church. 17 times in all of his writings, he mentions women of faith that are vital in the leadership as well as the the continuing of the church. Paul mentions and praises Timothy and his mother and grandmother who raised him up in the faith. There is no argument that can be made that Paul devalues women in his ministry. As a matter of fact, the argument that you look that actually Christianity raised women in the first century. They would have not even been welcome in these gathered settings, but instead, Paul says, we want you here. You're vital to the ministry of the church. And so Paul is not hating on women, so to speak. Secondly, Paul wrote not from a cultural argument, but from a biblical argument based in the creation order of Genesis. Notice in his context, if Paul was writing in a cultural sense, and when he says that a woman is to learn in full submission, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. He could have followed with the argument of why he qualified that. He could have said, well, you know what? They haven't, they haven't allowed the teaching to women yet. Or they, there's, there's things that could have been happening now that I would let a woman or permit a woman, but later on, maybe I would. Paul did not argue that way. What was his argument? In verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Here, look, we see what Paul's argument is, is that he holds forth what the whole Bible teaches about family, about men and women, and about the faith. What does the whole Bible teach? Well, Genesis teaches it. The Psalms teach it. Song of Psalms teaches it. Jesus teaches it. Peter teaches it. Paul teaches it. This is not some uh, uh, far off verse that we just grabbed up and Paul put into the Bible. It fits from Genesis to Revelation. This is the teaching of God. That man was created first, that they were created to be the spiritual leaders of the home, that they were to protect 
love, sacrificially serve, give their lives for the good of their wives and the good of their family, that husbands were to be the leaders of the home and and leaders in the church. And that likewise, God created women of equal value, of, of equal special nature, that they bear the image of God, that they too are equal, being able to gain by faith the same salvation that Christ died for them as well, that in the same way they are special and that they are just in the same way but created to fulfill a different role, that they are to support and love and to complement their husbands in the family. And because of this created order, that God says in the same way that the home must display this, so too should the church. Also, we know as believers who have read our entire Bible, that God didn't just Again, just say, oh, well, let's just kind of form Adam and Eve and we'll create the institution of marriage and family out of accident. He also knew that this was the forbearing picture of the salvation of God's church and family through Christ. That the Holy Spirit through the New Testament preaches to us that there is this picture of the church being linked to our bridegroom Christ, that when he commits to us that he will be ours forever and that we will be saved in in eternity by him. So marriage is not just something that we go to the justice of the peace to do as Christians. This is not just something that we gather around the garden and say, will you and will you. As Christians, we commit in the covenant work of God to each other before God to display the gospel in our lives, in our family, to each other, and to the world of the goodness that comes through Jesus Christ and salvation through him. So as we think through this, it is our tendency to think and recoil from the, from the text and recoil from what it says But when we read it, we understand that it is God's very good instruction for us. Because we know that God created this order, not after the fall, but before the fall. If we understand that God created this before the fall, and on day six, he says what? It is very good. Then we need to be reminded that his word and his instruction for us is very good for us. And that even when we don't quite understand it, we trust in his word. If we, tr- if, we, if we believe in him and trust in him to create the world in goodness, to care for the world in goodness, to save the world through his son, then we surely can follow his instruction in everything in life And to admit that even when I don't believe it or understand it, I must submit to it because it's for my good. And God made it for my good. And this is why we must believe these truths for us. Because it will result in the goodness for us and for the created order to understand that it is in husbands and wives 
Husbands being their fullness in God's, a, a godly man and the fullness of wives being godly women that we understand the goodness for the world. Which leads us to this other controversial saying. I mean, I think Paul just said, let's just get it. I'm getting everything off my chest right now. I mean, could we just walk through and say one more thing? Uh, And he says here in verse 15, but she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Now, when we read this, we say, okay, boy, this is hard to swallow, Paul. What are you trying to say? Well, let's just walk through and understand what Paul isn't saying. Paul is not saying that someone can gain salvation through bearing children. That would go against everything else he has written to the furthest extent about salvation of faith alone in Christ alone. So he's not saying that. He's also not saying that single women are, you know, out of luck because if they can't have children, then they can't be saved. That is not what he's saying because elsewhere Paul says actually if you are single you are gifted and valued and you are in a special place that God has placed you in the world to be a gift to the church to be a gift to the world to be a gift of singleness Paul speaks about this clearly so Paul's not saying those things so what is he saying well Paul is saying that women who trust in their God-given role and understand that if they are saved by faith, that it will display to the world through godly gifts, godly living, godly womanhood, and just as any other person saved by faith by the Spirit. How do we know that? Because in verse 15, he says, saved through childbearing, understand your, your, your femaleness and created by God if they continue in faith, in love, in holiness, and in wisdom or good sense. You see, it is to understand that is not this act that I gain salvation, but instead, through my womanly godliness, I display a work and a life and a heart changed by Christ. Therefore, as women, you should never devalue your worth to the kingdom of God and the church. Never devalue yourself. Because Paul is clearly saying it's actually when you truly fully understand your value as a godly woman, as a godly a wife, as a godly mother, as a godly single woman, as a godly work, working mom, as a godly stay-at-home mom, when you understand that through me you have been created special for the world, it is then you understand your gift and glory and value to the kingdom. I want you to hear, sister, that no matter where God has placed you, you have been specially gifted To be a spiritual mother, a spiritual sister, a spiritual aunt, a spiritual believer that can minister to other believers, to to your children, to your spouses for the glory of God. And you can do that differently and sometimes better than us as men because God has made you unique and different and special. 
So do not let the world, do not let Satan devalue yourself as a woman to say, well, I'm not making a difference for the kingdom because of what's going on in my life. If you're a mom, you are in the front yard of evangelism. You are doing something more vital than what's going on in the halls of UN or the White House. You are declaring and displaying the glory of God the truth of Jesus, and showing that to your children that they would one day be saved. There is nothing more important and vital than that. And you may be the best lawyer on the East Coast. You may be the best financial guru woman uh, on this side of the Mississippi. Or you may be a stay-at-home mom that is making a difference for the gospel for your family. But listen, if you are a woman after God's own heart, you are valued in the halls of heaven. And you are valued in this church. And you're valued by the men in this church. So do and understand what God has created you to do. To trust Him. To follow Him. And right where you are, be faithful and holy and loving because you are making a difference. Now, to think of what Paul is saying is an instruction. Paul is saying here, only in the gathered public worship, a woman should not teach. They must be served by pastors or men teaching scripture. Now, let me be clear. Paul is not saying men cannot learn from women. As I said to a group of women before, uh, just a few weeks ago, no, it is vital that men learn from women. I learn from women my entire life. Right now, I am learning from women. My wife teaches me how to be a better follower of Jesus because she helps me see, reflect, and know Jesus in a better and deeper way. And if I am to be the husband that God has called me to be, then it is actually taking off myself, living less for myself, living as, a, as someone who has given themselves over to my wife and to my family. That is how I learn. And also as she speaks the scripture into me. But I learned from many women. I learned there's tons of authors and, and women that I, that I speak to. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, Jackie Hill Perry, Jen Wilkin, uh, Joni Erickson Tata. How I learned faithful endurance for someone to be confined in a wheelchair to say that the first thing that she would do when she, get, when she gets to heaven and she can run and walk is not that she runs, but that she falls at the feet of Jesus and worships him. That teaches me to love Jesus more. Mary Kaysan, Nancy Guthrie may be one of the gifted Bible teachers that the world has given. Uh, Gloria Furman, Trilla Newbill, I could go on and on. Men must listen and learn and understand. And we learn from about Christ in the Bible from women. But in the gathered setting, Paul is saying, the blueprint of the church is that we would reflect the home to display the gospel order so that when the church comes together, we display the gospel to the world. So think about that. In every other thing, women can flourish. Women can do and lead in many different ways. 
and do great gifted things in the life of the church. It's just in one way they cannot serve. As a matter of fact, Rosaria Butterfield points this out. She says, since all people are made in the image of God, the Bible's designation of gender role difference does not imply some inherent intellectual weakness in women or inbred intellectual strength in men. It does mean that in the context of the official worship of God, women are not to preach or teach. That leaves an enormous amount of things that a Christian woman must do to support kingdom work on earth, both within and outside the church. Mercy work, Titus 2 work, employment, uh, women and children, supporting and advising diaconal ministry, Proverbs 31 work, and if called to secular employment, doing it for the glory of God and thus diffusing a Christian light in the workplace. But this passage gives men and women different roles within the church. You know, the world wants us to always pit ourselves against each other. And the world tries to sell a deficiency and what maleness and womanhood look. And they always try to argue in a way that devalues Christ, the church, and the family. But we as Christians have a better foundation to stand on. One in which we know that we can stand forever and ever, amen, that God created us exactly how he wanted us to be. As a woman of God who loves him and cares for others and cherishes his word and serves others and cares for others in a way that no one else quite can. There are men of faith who, who know that they have been given in a way in many different varieties to, to provide spiritual leadership for their home, to, to understand and 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 lead their family, to protect their family, to serve their family, and to give their lives for their family, to display it in a glorious picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. And when all of this comes together, boy, brothers and sisters, it's beautiful because we have men who serve the church and their home and their family in a sacrificial way. We have women serving the church in a loving and sacrificial way. And we see stronger families. We see stronger churches. And listen, brothers and sisters, Satan wants to destroy the church and at its core destroy the family. Because when it can destroy the family, he can destroy the church. So let us think through and understand that God has given each of us a valuable role to play. It might be different. It might look different. But it's all for the glory of God. And as we do this, we think of how God might use us for the greater good of the community and the world. That we can start, we know, uh, start ministries to women and children that are led by godly women to help them see 
how they might live, that, that we can see women and men working together on the mission field to the glory of God, that we can see a church that is led by men who aspire to be uh, pastors and leaders, that they might know more about their Bible instead of just siphoning off the spiritual leadership to their wives or to, to someone else in their family or to, by osmosis, let somebody else lead. We must understand that God has given this beautiful gift to the church that we might serve. Now, I promised that we were going to read some more of the passage, but you know what? The Spirit's saying, let's just stop right here. Because we need to first understand and value what God has called us and created us to be. And maybe you should reflect today as a man of God, How are you sacrificially giving your life, serving your wife or your family or your children? If you're a single man, how are you in the same way coming alongside the church? This doesn't give you a time in your singleness to step back, but instead to serve in many different important ways. For women, what way can you serve that you're not serving right now? What can you do to to push back the siren call of the world that is often recently said, hey, you know, follow your dreams, follow your path, forget your family, forget everything else, and just follow what you want to do. You can say, no, look, the Bible has shown me I can do it all. I can be called to what God has gifted me to be and love my family and love my church. Wives, how can you submit to your husbands in a way that glorifies God? How do you serve and love other women that can help them as they follow Jesus? Single women, how can you serve of other families and and here in the church that is not again your time to sit back and wait for another spell paul has said this is a vital time you're a vital gift to the church how can you serve brothers and sisters this is all possible only because we've been changed by the glory of jesus christ we could follow the world we could follow its message we could follow what it has to say But through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we have been saved. And maybe you right now, or maybe you watching at home have struggled because you don't know what you're supposed to do. You've you've meandered through life and you know you've been trying out Christianity from a distance or you've kind of been following and you've been thinking, well, well, I don't know if I can get past this, this submission piece. Well, let me just first encourage you, if that is a hindrance, Look into the Bible and see how glorious it is. See what it doesn't mean, what the world is saying. But instead, see, repeat or see what God has given it as a beautiful nature and call. But get over that and see this glorious Jesus who died for you. See this Christ who said that I know that I came to take on the sin of the world and to die for your sins. The most important thing that you need to hear today is that we're all sinners and that we need a perfect Savior. And that Savior died for us
and by faith and repentance, we believe that we are saved. And this precious gift comes to us. And that God begins to change us and make us a new person that we can fulfill his role that he has for us in the world. So let's pray to see how we might be godly men and women of faith and follow this Jesus who has saved us. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the gift of the family. We're, gift for, we're thankful for the precious gift of male, uh, uh, maleness and womanhood that you have gifted the church, that each of us have been treasuredly designed in a perfect way that God you said it was very good and that we have been given a gift to serve in the church for you heavenly father I pray this morning that as we understand and be challenged to serve your word and serve your world and serve your church and how you have gifted us I pray God that you would that you would convict us of where we're failing that we would too live in a holy, good manner for each other. And God, I pray this morning that as we understand this precious gift of Christ, that we would trust him and live for him. And God, I pray if there's anyone here or watching at home, that God, today would be the day of their salvation as they trust in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.